Hello, and welcome to CIA Conversations. My name is Tasha Lewis, and I'm a sculptor and arts educator based in northern New Jersey. And today I'm delighted to be joined by Andrew Potter and Brendan Tang to discuss the ways in which we can decolonize the arts curriculum. We're interested mostly in community-oriented learning strategies, as well as ways in which we can push back against traditional models of assessment. Both Andrew and Brendan are expansive artists in clay and thoughtful teachers, and I hope you enjoy our conversation. Okay, so I saw both of you guys speak at the NSICA conference, the National Council on Education for the Ceramic Arts in the spring. And your subject for your presentation was teaching ceramics histories, but it was sort of much broader than that. Can you guys kind of contextualize that for the listeners who weren't at NSICA? Um, yeah, I mean, we talked about classroom culture and culture building in the classroom and how that relates to the goals of decolonization, which is sort of in some ways a misnomer within the academic framework. <laughs> There's sort of only so much we can do or we're not really sure how much we can do yet. It's a little more like an ethic, a style of communication and a way that you engage your students are some of the things that we talked about, I think. And I, Brendan can kind of expand on some of that, I think. Yeah, I think we definitely, Andrew definitely uh, elaborated more on the historical approach to it and what that looks like and how we can sort of reapproach historical ceramics without othering uh, ways of working and uh, kind of continuing the, the idolatry of the Western canon. Uh, and kind of more <laughs> put it in, in its appropriate place within the the history and the and the way of teaching ceramics. And I think we both also touched on how we approach that when coming to a studio based class and how it isn't necessarily so much about um, the the content that we're sharing that's obviously stays the same it's more like how the structure of the class is and how we present ourselves in the class and and how much more when in a way kind of giving agency to the students in in a in a greater way um yeah so as you guys have prepared for this coming semester is there anything that you discussed in that NSICA presentation that has kind of shifted or that you focused more on for this upcoming year or that you, I don't know, that sort of shifted, I guess, since since we last saw each other? Mm -hmm. I think for me, I think I'm approaching it, uh, even sort of continuing with that sense of agency for the senior students. And I think that's kind of one of the things that I'm kind of spoiled with right now is that I, I am teaching third years, fourth years in grad students. And so there is lots of lots of space I can give my students and sort of have faith in them to kind of pick up the ball and run with it. And I think that, uh, yeah, that's where I'm at with it right now. I'm back to being unemployed by my institution because I'm sessional. Oh. <laughs> so I haven't been preparing anything. <laughs> um, yeah, but actually, so I'm now currently a student again as well, and it's been really interesting. I'm in a completely different, I'm in the sciences now, a mm -hmm. student in the sciences, and 
but it's a it's an application science, it's physiotherapy. So it's quite interesting to see now how they are approaching grading mm. and the ways that they're trying to sort of dip their toes into ideas of decolonization, even in a framework that is much less accommodating than the arts, because the arts is already way more flexible mm -hmm. about how we approach our, the education, right? This is much more standardized and it has to teach to an external examination body and stuff like that. But because it's applied and it's ultimately about working with people and there is a lot more consciousness about um, what that means in mm -hmm. a more decolonized mindset, mm -hmm. that's coming in even to how they grade, right? So for example, there are assignments in my classes where um, you just have to achieve the competency that's being given and you achieve it and you keep working till you achieve it. And once you achieve it, you pass. And that's mm -hmm. just the way it goes. And to me, honestly, when I think about grading, that's something that I always think of as kind of an ideal that I wish I could do. Mm -hmm. I do want kind of everyone to be achieving what I would consider excellent work. And some people need more time to do that. Mm -hmm. That's one of those things that our academic structure just does not accommodate. <laughs> mm -hmm. So I'm curious about the about your program now, Andrew. Um, <laughs> we're totally off the rails already. Uh, <laughs> is um, like finding and in and giving creating space for that that sort of learning. Um, how does that work with timing? I think in my own course at this point, the way that I best adapt that in my art courses is just that like, I always allow people to resubmit. They can resubmit anything. Like if they want to do better at a project, they can just redo it. And I, I mean, that's something I, I don't know, probably a lot of people tell their students in ceramics, especially when they're struggling in the middle of a thing. A lot of times I'm like, scrap it and just build it again from scratch. It'll go so much faster. It'll be so much better. <laughs> you won't have any problems. You will learn so much more than if you keep trying to coax this falling apart piece along. Yeah. And, you know, ceramics is such an amazing medium for teaching that aspect of like attachment and detachment from yes, your work. Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. I think that kind of circles around to something I, I thought we should probe is like what in ceramics specifically, and then maybe in arts education in general, like what do we actually want assessment to do? Like what is its purpose? Um, does it have one for us? And, and what do we think about that? Hmm. Yeah, I think there was at one point there, the idea was is to kind of find who the star pupil or, you know, mm -hmm. to have like to kind of create, you know, not, well, maybe intentionally or unintentionally, like a hierarchy within a situation. Yeah, I was thinking like a stratification, right? It's yeah. almost like tracking. Yeah, or it's and motivation. But also, like, I wonder if it was like, in some way, a way of justifying the costs of these kinds of things is like 
well, you're going to leave really good at this, you know, doing this thing and you're paying so much money. So maybe, maybe it is like, there is also sort of a tie in to like everything to capitalism and it being mm -hmm. like, well, I'm paying for a service. How do I know I'm getting the service? Because there's a lot of people that leave art school and they're like, I didn't learn anything. And you're like, well, kind of <laughs> on you. I highly doubt that even <laughs> if you barely showed up that yes. you didn't learn anything. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, partly we're talking about a, an issue of maturity, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Are you acknowledging the things that you're learning? <laughs> yeah. I think it also has to do with we struggle to try to validate art as compared to other academic disciplines so that it can mm. fit within an academic structure so that we can have art departments in universities, yes. et cetera. Mm -hmm. And we don't only see that in terms of grading, but also just the plain fact that we even call what we do now research and a practice mm -hmm. is terminology that is there so that we can fit into like tenure evaluations, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. And they... And, you know, that we do things that are quote unquote peer reviewed when you get into a jury show that's peer reviewed. And you're like, this has nothing to do, <laughs> almost nothing to do with the kind of peer review that's done, say, in science. And, you know, art, I think all the humanities struggle with this to some extent, because all mm -hmm. of that, a lot of that structure is based on science mm -hmm. and the structures that have been built up around that. Mm -hmm. uh, and then it sort of gets applied without really paying attention to how things are different. Yeah. Um, I do think, uh, so I think we have a lot of problems. A, I think, you know, evaluation or in art school is kind of stupid because as most of us know, what grades you get in art school really, really don't matter in the art world. 100 sometimes when you stay in academia for example or you're trying to get a scholarship or you switch fields and suddenly you're trying to get into medical school uh -huh. and now all of a sudden that b minus that you got in painting that wasn't your major anyway that was a teacher who you just really didn't jive with and like you know that's really terrible <laughs> And on the one hand, I'm kind of like, okay, part of it, what we're teaching is like, you just have to have the maturity a little bit to suck it up and do the work, whatever that teacher is asking you to do, even if it's not your drive. And that's in some ways what's being assessed, right? But that doesn't have anything to do with the quality of your work. So, and we absolutely know that like, any commercial or you know getting grants or any of the things that you do professionally as an artist absolutely has nothing to do with your grades and you're only going to be evaluated on your work and it's going to be idiosyncratic and, and and to that jury and stuff like mm -hmm. that so you know we could do things like just have pass fail across the board you just yeah. only pass art school or fail it like you know yes, yes. Like, yeah. <laughs> and it's interesting because like that i went through that system nascad back in the day used to do that and it was mm -hmm. wonderful it really 
at least for me, it kind of let go of that sort of, I need to get, you know, I kind of got into a little because it was a pass and then high pass. Then I'd be like, why didn't I get a high pass? But it's, <laughs> but still, you know what I mean? Like it didn't feel like I was chasing this like bizarre kind of thing. So mm-hmm. yeah, I don't know. Like, I think it's really, um, I, I think the pass fail is just so much even a better model than that ABC kind of thing. Uh, especially for art school. Yeah. And it's so, um, it discourages people from taking risks. So again, like here's an analogy from totally separate situation, but like medical school and the the program I I am in now is extremely difficult to get into. You have to have a, and it's mostly judged on GPA. You have to have Mm. a very high GPA. This discourages people from taking courses that would be challenging for them, right? They take the requirements that they need for their science degree or for whatever it is, and then they just pad that with things that allow them to get good grades. That is absolutely antithetical to what we want students to be doing, right? And especially in the arts, which is so much about Mm risk-taking. And that's one of the primary things we want to be training in for people. So uh to to be giving them yeah to be giving them percentage or uh or lettered grades is it's really kind of against that mm-hmm. goal one of our main goals so i find that also problematic yeah i'm also thinking too i mean we're talking about from the student perspective but also from our perspective as you know adjunct faculty or now full-time faculty um, you know, in some ways, the grading for us can be, you know, what we most, you know, gripe about to our colleagues. I think there's yeah. some sense of a bureaucratic obligation, like you were saying, Andrew, about, you know, justifying our discipline, like the idea that this rigor um, through the ABCD or numbers, it almost feels like by quantifying things, we are justifying them in the in the ac- academic sphere. Um, but of course, I mean, and you guys talked about this, this idea of bias, right? Of course, it comes down to, you know, six mm-hmm. people look at a vase and they grade it differently. And if you don't know the trajectory of that student, then you could grade mm-hmm. it even more differently, right? You, you know, right. I, we all know as teachers that like, it, you know, not only it's our subjective sense of the object, but our subjective sense of the subject, the person who made it. And that can really affect how we think about how they're assessed, how did they grow, like how did they interact, what did they do for the course. Um, and so I guess if we are all sort of agreeing that we want to take a step away from prioritizing assessment, can you guys talk about how that, you know, community building or growth building or, um, you know, if if learning in the classroom is about more than just motivating students through assessment, what are the modes through which you set up that community learning? Well, you know what you just were saying about bias, I think this is something that we talked about in our Mm -hmm. lecture. I think that in early days of kind of awareness around issues and multiculturalism, people are like, I'm not supposed to be biased. I'm supposed to be able to rid myself of bias yeah and I not see color yeah I think one of the things that we are a little more owning up to at this point is like that's not realistic we are human beings with bias and priorities and the things that we care about and motivate us 
And as teachers, if we can't be those true human beings that we are, we're kind of watering it down and reducing the amount of like passion. And I think passion is one Mm -hmm. of the big motivators for students is to see that you are really passionate about something. And so I think, you know, we talked about how we are very open about what our biases are right in those initial conversations with students to be like, hey, these are some of the things that I really care about. I'm probably going to come at you from this point of view. Mm-hmm. So let's be aware about that. If that's not where you're coming from, tell me so that we can have a more productive conversation. I think the other, like in terms of like creating that community within the classroom, the, you know, starting off right from the get-go with um, the the group agreement or the classroom contract, which in a lot of ways, like, you know, Back in the old days, we would just give a syllabus and then say, you know, this is these are the rules. This is what I this is the decorum. This is what I expect from it. But, you know, kind of in a way, creating a contract with your students um, about what they want to do, what they need and what they also bring, I think is really great because then it kind of it, you know, like I'm still getting used to that idea. Like I've only implemented these ideas of contracts within or uh, group uh, contracts only within the last four years three or four years and I'm still it's always really tweaking and like at mm-hmm. first it felt it was kind of like um kind of lip service but now I'm starting to see like how it's actually changing the dynamic and students are getting used to it at a very like at, at earlier like foundation level first year and stuff like that they're understanding that they have agency because you know like if you think about the education system it's like they're jumping into a whole different culture if we're asking them to be self-motivated critical thinkers and that sort of thing where they have just been automatons being readied for the workforce where they just take orders they fill in schedules and all that sort of stuff there so yeah like I think um, that's been a way of kind of getting that going and then yeah it's always it's always a really tricky thing developing agency within and in the community but I, I definitely feel like it is kind of not great students we're trying to develop or trying to create great citizens, both in yes. the community <laughs> and in the world in general. So, yeah, it's so funny because I totally think about that issue of citizenship. <laughs> like, literally, yeah. that word is, is uh, also, and for me, that I don't even think of it as a contract. I don't think of it as a contract, but I realized when we were talking, when I was talking with Brendan, that it's kind of the same thing that we do. It's this initial conversation. Mm -hmm. And for me, that came out of doing work more in facilitation situations or Mm -hmm. like, uh, you know, working with um, underserved youth, used to be called at-risk youth back when I was doing it um, more. And that was about a lot more about getting buy-in right? Mm -hmm. It's like, if if people are creating what's happening in the group, they have a greater sense of responsibility. And this Mm -hmm. part of, I mean, that's the flip side of agency, right? It's responsibility, but it's just like, (laughs) so we, we talk about things like, you know, what does it take to be a good student? What does it take to be a good artist? Are these things even compatible? Because we're talking right now about some of the ways that they're not very compatible. Yeah. Yeah. Right the risk taking right and so 
it allows us to identify what is it that we're even really trying to do here. <laughs> that is such a great question. I'm trying, I'm desperately looking for paper to write down. What does it take to be a great student? What does it take to be a great artist? Cause I'm, I'm teaching tomorrow and I need this. <laughs> yeah, We're writing your speech for you. I mean, I think, um, I think it's interesting too, that we all, I mean, we met at a ceramics conference, but we all, you know, have experienced teaching ceramics and sort of adjacent design history uh, courses. You know, I almost wonder, is there something about the ceramics classroom that has kind of primed all of us to be thinking about community or oriented thing about sort of decolonizing the canon because in some ways ceramics has been outside of the Western canon in some ways. And, and so, I don't know. I wonder too. Also, Brennan, you're teaching higher, you know, upper level students. Um, mm -hmm. What what is our collective experience of, you know, do we how do we change our courses? Um, you know, thinking about beginning students, thinking about mid level students, moving students through maybe an arc of study. Um, how does that play into how do we you know how we shift that community or shift the thinking about assessment? Yeah, I think like in in ceramics, we have like a, a weird built in culture. And I don't know, like I have a lot of theories of where it kind of comes from, but we're all kind of left leaning <laughs> in a lot of ways <laughs> who all secretly want to be capitalists when we leave and sell pots. But it's, you know what I mean? Like, I think there is like the sense of community of getting together, helping each other out with techniques and skills and firing and that sort of thing. And mm -hmm. I think there is like this really wonderful thing that I don't see in other departments, in all of the programs that I've ever been involved with that, mm -hmm. you know, like that, it's like, I think just looking at our potlucks alone and uh, <laughs> it's a really wonderful thing. And we're always having them. <laughs> we're always having We them. can't be stopped. <laughs> and I always get the side eye when I bring a frozen pizza, but anyhow, well, I will go beyond that. Like, I think there is also, I don't know, maybe there's a subconscious hunger for the ceramics to question its, it's, um, how do I put this nicely? I think I'm trying to look for a nice way of saying cultural appropriation, but it's just not coming to me right now. But like, there's an interesting reckoning that needs to happen within ceramics and maybe yeah. maybe there's an interest there. No, I mean, I would definitely agree with that. And I was one of the things that we started bringing up in that lecture are the ways that ceramics is not owning up to the extent to which it's part of Western culture, or at least ceramics mm -hmm. in North America is mm -hmm. not owning up to that. Um, so that's, that's quite a, a problem, uh, that, that does need to be addressed. However, for my, in my own teaching, one of the things I found that was really good and that actually helped me, because when I started teaching like intro sculpture, which doesn't have the same culture at all. Mm -hmm. And I have been teaching a lot, like, you know, okay, what's, what's modernism, what's postmodernism, what's metamodernism or however you call whatever comes after postmodernism yeah um because i'm like these are all still active these are all still active kind of theories of art making and meaning for mm -hmm. our culture and i started adding in tradition this is and i mean i think i'm in ceramics in part because my own work works with tradition as mm -hmm. well as postmodernism and metamodernism <laughs> but it but I was like, I will be recognized in ceramics because people value tradition in ceramics, at least as yeah. an idea. Mm -hmm. So on the one hand, I think we haven't done a lot of unpacking of our um, kind of cultural appropriation. Uh, mm -hmm. And on the other hand, the fact, and this is true for craft 
media in general, not just ceramics, the fact that we have consistently valued tradition as opposed to dogmatically promoting the idea of avant-gardism, mm -hmm. which is still really, I mean, that's modern, it's modernist, and it is at yeah. the core of what we still think an artist is. Yeah, We have not evolved beyond that culturally. And so we're talking about something that's like 300 years old, at least for like Western, Euro-Western mm -hmm. culture. So that tradition, that valuing of tradition as a sort of philosophy, as something of value, as something that is um, important, like that is a great in for being able to break that that avant-garde dogma, which is so Euro-Western culturally. Um, so, so that's the exciting part, right? <laughs> it's like, <laughs> whoa, we, we are well positioned yeah. to initiate this new, a newer kind of more, well, you know, it's new and it's old. <laughs> part of the point is it's about not being new. It's about recognizing things that have consistently been there. Mm -hmm. um, but I think, you know, that's something that to leverage. And it's something that allowed me to start thinking about things that way. And to realize that talking about tradition as a fundamental way that human beings make art um, that is totally current along with these other things that are that are current and, and very important to us in, in the North American art world. I actually do think that one of the reasons that we maintain a slightly different culture in ceramics, and maybe this is uh, potentially applicable to all the craft media, is the fact that we are so well integrated across um, different strata, like different levels of engagement in society. So like there's mm -hmm. academia, but we are very, like, I don't think there's a single person teaching who hasn't spent time at a residency and teaching in community classes and, mm -hmm. you Craft know, centers, fact, everything. yeah, the fact that our NSICA is, you know, for people, for K to 12 teachers, for students, uh, high, both high school and college students and university students. So I think that is quite important because I think it helps to keep us from getting quite so siloed mm -hmm. or like ivory towered in academia because we have that regular touch with the real world <laughs> to some extent. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I think that, I think that, and at least I can say that for North America. I don't know if that's true globally mm -hmm. at all, but yeah. it's very much the model we have here. Yeah, I think that's definitely true. Um, I guess maybe then with all of these differences, you know, I feel like I've taught ceramics and sculpture and sort of 3D design more, like you were saying, Andrew, kind of dealing with a different uh, context for the making of 3D objects. Um, and I've just sort of taken my strategy of ungrading um, just across. I've just sort of like taken it to whatever community I've been teaching at and kind of just let it exist and see how the students respond to it. And in some ways, my practice is like so novel to them that I don't know, that, mm -hmm. you know, it's like it doesn't kind of matter what community I bring it to. Everybody's going to be surprised. Um, but I think 
the end of your presentation, you were both like, oh, you know, what what could decolonizing assessment look like? And and I think that was sort of where I took off in my NSICA presentation on, you know, and, and to me, I was really excited that it seemed very similar to the the contract. I mean, some people call ungrading contract grading. And so mm-hmm. I really like the idea that, you know, for you guys, both your courses are sort of foundational in this community touchstone on that first um, first class. And so for me, it's like, how can I bring that community to each individual assignment and and kind of allow the students to choose how they navigate it, how they earn an A. Um, yeah, like I, I was thinking you should describe some of the nuts and bolts about how that works because I don't think it's yeah. obvious at all. Yeah. Um, so in many ways, I'm dealing again with beginning students. So I think, you know, for Brennan, I, you know, I've been asked to sort of think about how this would scale up across yeah. disciplines and across, you know, skill levels, we'll just say. So, you know, I, I think it scales. Um, I think it's it what it, what it does is it puts a lot of the creative, um, you know, all the exciting things about designing an assignment. It kind of front loads that. And so what I do is I create a rubric that has a base sort of list of things that I, I really want the students to hit. And that's sort of part of the arc of building the course. So, you know, each mm-hmm. assignment will have essential base qualities and, you know, in teaching wheel, obviously that's you know, about height or, you know, how did you, (laughs) how did you do in terms of dimensions? And, you know, we all know that the skills that you need to build up for that. Um, And so in some ways that is the kind of nuts and bolts of, you know, what the assignment needs to do. And, and for me, creating that baseline is for the students to earn a C. Um, I think, you know, students who don't show up to class are going to fail my class, but a student, as we were kind of talking at the beginning of this conversation, if you keep at it and you try to achieve this baseline goal, you're going to get a C, you're going to pass my class. Mm -hmm. Um, And what's exciting and what feels like kind of tied to your community um, contract is the reach goals. And so I'll create a list of, and I try to be, i in my art practice, I'm all over the place. And so I try to think of all the different things. So it's, you know, texture, it's color, it's um, sort of a cultural connection or a historical connection. It can be all these different um, sort of paths, right, from Mm -hmm. the assignment to these other places. And each student then um, can pick which ones they want to pursue. And as a class, we decide um, how many additional requirements need to be done to earn a B or to earn an A. And and that's kind of like, we come together and I give them the assignment sheet and I say, you will be self-assessing. Um, I will not be grading you. And that has to kind of, you know, process. <laughs> mm-hmm. And many of them turn the self-assessments in and they don't believe me. Like they won't write final grade at the bottom because they're sure that I'm going to do something else. <laughs> 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 Which again, is very sweet. <laughs> um, but uh, at the end of the day, that's sort of like, we look at what the project is going to be at the beginning. And, you know, sometimes there have been students who have been like, you know what, you didn't list, um, you know, like this kind of uh, decorative work that I got excited about because I saw a TikTok video. Is there any way that we could include like this specific technique that I'm, you know, that slip trailing, for example, right? Let's yeah, just say, yeah. you know, uh, uh, can I include that? And so we'll sort of meet as a group and say, you know, student X wants to add this to our list of potential extensions. Is anybody else like 
do they want to share how they, you know, what they discovered, how they could, you know, how other people might want to pursue it. Yeah. Um, and then it can be added to the list, right? It's like you said, it's very flexible each year that I've taught it. I've sort of shifted around and added things. Um, and again, it's like streamlines, it streamlines assessment because at the end of the project, everybody fills out the rubric and mm -hmm. hands me their grade. And I just check and make sure that, you know, they did those things yeah. and, um, and that's it. And so that's how I've approached the, again, it can be called the contract-based model or rubric-based ungrading model um, mm. in ceramics. Yeah, and I think one of the things that I hear when you describe that, that I think is something that I tr have tried to increasingly do is the explicit communication. And I think that's yeah. something that we, our generation has kind of had to learn because certainly when I was going through my education, there was a lot of implicit expectations. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I was fortunate that I was good at understanding what those were. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> by paying attention. But I've also recognized the extent to which what it was really not until I started teaching that I started to realize how many implicit expectations I had and how I my students did, just didn't know. And I would be like, how could you not know that? Right. Yeah. Like, but it just had a lot to do with, you know, what was my background? Where was I coming from? What had my educational experience been versus what were my students' backgrounds and their educational experiences. And um, and so I think that's one thing that I have gotten quite a bit better at. And I'm very proud of that, about how explicitly I can explain what I'm asking them to do. Yeah. Um, and and realizing, you know, that that I had to do that, that and then I, and that they also that I also have to keep listening so that they can that I keep being made aware of all the implicit expectations that I still have, right? Absolutely. That is yeah. a, such a difficult one to balance. Like I, I think, and I think that's just also like a Western culture thing. There is just like so much that is like, it's like underground suggested. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And it's just like, um, and I remember having that, we have a lot of international students at Emily Carr being a Pacific Rim campus um and it is very much like a cultural thing like if you don't or if you're not incredibly clear about things or you know explicit about what you're trying to achieve then yeah they're just not going to go that extra mile because they did, you it wasn't asked and so yeah like that contract base i, I think this is such a fascinating kind of model uh, as well well, and I think that implicit expectation is something every culture has. Like mm -hmm. we, and it's something that you really, like when you learn another language, that's not what you've grown up speaking yeah. is one of the times that you really become aware of it because you don't, you're, you just don't get so much. Yeah. <laughs> right? yeah. Because words don't just mean what they mean in terms of a definition. They mean so much more. They're within a whole cultural context. Um, so I think it's 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 has to do with trying to manage that, I guess, multicultural or cross-cultural reality that we are living in. I'm thinking too about what you were saying, Andrew, about um, modernism and like the hold that that kind of structure and language has on academia and this kind of obsession with, in some ways, exactly what you're saying, like the ineffable right that you have to achieve something 
to get an A, to be in that top tier that, that your instructor sees that can't be taught, that can't be defined, that can't be put in a rubric, <laughs> right? And that just to me feels so, I mean, especially in a beginning class, right? I don't know, um, I don't know, I don't know where I'm building towards, but I think, you know. In yeah, no, I mean, if it's not intrinsically obvious that that is completely based on bias, right? Like that's yeah. one of those things that, you know, we should just know <laughs> when we're saying that, that like, you just don't have that je ne sais quoi, right? Yeah. Like the genius. So the not. genius. Yeah. Cool. I'm just not seeing my work in your work. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's exactly what that means. <laughs> you have reached the end of the first section of my conversation with Brendan Tang and Andrew Potter. If you would like to continue, please find part two. Thank you.